Here we are. It is the day of the critical New Hampshire primary. We will get into that. Donald Trump says something vulgar because today ending in Y and why it really isn't Trump's fault. Really? I'm Ben Shapiro, and this is The Ben Shapiro Show. The the tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Okie doke. So today is the New Hampshire primary. Donald Trump is going to win. The only question is who comes in second. So there were some late-breaking polls that showed Jeb Bush surging. John Kasich and Jeb Bush probably going to compete for second place. One of them will finish third. If Marco Rubio finishes outside the top four, let's say that Ted Cruz finishes fourth, and Marco Rubio finishes fifth, then Marco Rubio has a real problem on his hands. But I don't want to talk too much about what New Hampshire means until tomorrow. We'll wait for the actual results, because why speculate? Instead, I want to talk about something that's happened inside conservatism that is deeply troubling to me. We'll start with Donald Trump yesterday. So Donald Trump is in New Hampshire, and he's doing a rally in New Hampshire, and he's doing the Trump thing, which is he's just freewheeling it. He's like a stand-up comedian. He just gets up there and he just riffs. And at a certain point, a lady in the crowd starts yelling something to him. And here is what Donald Trump does. Here's what he says. Here we go. You heard the other night at debate, they asked Ted Cruz, serious question, well, what do you think of waterboarding? Is it okay? And honestly, I thought he'd say absolutely, and he didn't. He said, well, it's, you know, he's concerned about the answer because some people, she just said a terrible thing. You know what she said? Shout it out, because I don't want to... <laughs> okay, you're not allowed to say, and I never expect to hear that from you again, she said, I never expect to hear that from you again. She said he's a That's terrible. 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 That's terrible. Now. <laughs> Okay, so that's the comedy routine, right? Some lady shouts out from the crowd that he is a, a word for female genitalia, and he picks up on it, and then he repeats it in front of the entire crowd. We bleeped it for people who couldn't hear, um, but it's been printed pretty much everywhere, so if you wonder what word he said, let's put it this way. It's in, in the song, What's New Pussycat? It appears many times. So he, that's, that's what he calls Ted Cruz right there. He says, and, and his supporters say, oh, he didn't call Ted Cruz that. He was, he was just saying what the lady said. Right, right. Okay, so you got a, an arena full of 5,000 people, half of whom are screaming things. He picks out the one lady, repeats what she said, and then walks around the stage laughing about what she said. No, he wasn't repeating it at all. And in fact, Trump later comes out and he says, yeah, it was just something that I was saying that was kind of fun and funny, and it's what I do. And, and Trump actually ended up telling MSNBC, he said, quote, I was just repeating what she said so everyone could hear, because everyone was desperate to hear what this crazy lady in the front row is screaming. He says, I was doing everybody a favor. I got a standing ovation. The place went wild. You're talking about close to 5,000 people. It was a great moment. The world is politically correct. Right? So the world is politically correct. And this has been Trump's constant refrain, is that when he says things that are, that are terrible or vulgar, that he's, just, he's saying something that's not political. He's not going to be held down by the conventions and the boundaries of political correctness. And he's been doing this for the last couple of weeks. He's really been ratcheting this up. So the other day, for example, Donald Trump dropped the F word at one of his rallies, and here's what that looked like. We're going <coughs> to have businesses that used to be in New Hampshire that are now in Mexico come back to New Hampshire, and you can tell them 
to go themselves. Okay, so he's dropped the F word. And of course, Donald Trump has also because dropped the, the S word a bunch of times as well. Here, for example, is Donald Trump talking about the S word and dropping the S word. ISIS is making a tremendous amount of money because they have certain oil camps, right? They have certain areas of oil that they took away. They have some in Syria, some in Iraq. I would bomb the shit out of them. Okay, so let's put this way. I'm not a prude about bad language. As anyone around the office knows, as soon as I get off the air, it's basically a sailor. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I, I think a good four-letter word has its place in the English language, and that place is actually it's a variety of places. I think that it, it applies pretty much. It, it's a great word, and, and there are lots of great words in the English language that, that people use too often but are still great words. So I'm not a prude when it comes to cursing. However, however, there are some people who are defending all of this as non-vulgar. Now, it is vulgar. Okay, sometimes, you, there, sometimes there's vulgarity with a purpose. So, for example, when I spoke at University of Missouri, I specifically used the word BS, but not BS, like the actual word. I used it a couple of times, and I specifically did that, and I purposely did that because I was talking to college students. And anybody who's ever dealt with college students knows that cursing is sort of the coin of the realm, that if you want to enter into the, the trust hall of students, what you really need to do is drop a couple of curse words. So you can do it strategically. Trump says this kind of stuff because Trump is actually a vulgar man. Right? Trump is the kind of guy who has said before, like these are direct quotes from Trump, quote, oftentimes when I was sleeping with one of the top women in the world, I would say to myself, thinking about me as a boy from Queens, can you believe what I am getting? It's like, what if I told the real stories of my experiences with women, often seemingly very happily married and important women? This book would be a guaranteed bestseller, which it will be anyway. I'd love to tell all using names and places, but I just don't think it's right. How about this one? When a man leaves a woman, especially when it was perceived that he is left for a piece of ass, a good one, exclamation point, there are 50% of the population who will love the woman who was left. Or how about this? I've said if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. And how about this about women? This is from the 80s. Quote, you have to treat them like bleep. And how about this? You know, it really doesn't matter what they write as long as you've got a young and beautiful piece of ass. So Donald Trump is a vulgar guy. He's a vulgar guy. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not a conservative guy. And here's what is generating all of the support for Trump. And, and the vulgarity, the more vulgarity he uses, the more his polls go up. And so the question is why? Why is it that being non-genteel is seen as some sort of winning persona move for Donald Trump? The answer comes courtesy of New York Times columnist David Brooks. So David Brooks is, he considers himself a conservative. He is not. Today, David Brooks wrote a column that is truly horrifying. He's supposed to be the conservative. He's the conservative at the New York Times. The column is called, I Miss Barack Obama, from David Brooks. And here's what he writes. He says, as this primary season has gone along, a strange sensation has come over me. I miss Barack Obama. Now, obviously, I disagree with a lot of Obama's policy decisions. I've been disappointed by aspects of his presidency. I hope the next presidency is a philosophic departure. But over the course of this campaign, it feels as if there's been a decline in behavioral standards across the board. Many of the traits of character and leadership Obama possesses, and that maybe we have taken too much for granted, have suddenly gone missing or are in short supply. And then he goes on to talk about how the Obama administration is, he calls it remarkably scandal-free. He, he says they're honest, they're remarkably scandal-free, which is an unbelievable statement to make about the administration that sicked the IRS on its political opponents, covered up Benghazi, fast and furious, 
Hillary Clinton was Barack Obama's secretary of state when she had a private server. Scandals inside the Environmental Protection Agency, inside the Department of Justice, inside the Health and Human Services Department, inside the Veterans Administration. Literally every place there could be a scandal, there's been a scandal. But that's not truly what makes David Brooks like Barack Obama. What makes David Brooks like Barack Obama is that Barack Obama appears to be genteel. He appears so civilized. Right? He says that Barack Obama has a basic sense of humanity, a sense of basic humanity. Quote, he's exuded this basic care and respect for the dignity of others time and time again. Let's put it this way. Imagine if Barack and Michelle Obama joined the board of a charity you're involved in. You'd be happy to have such people in your community. Could you say that comfortably about Ted Cruz? So he, he thinks that, that, they would be, that the Obamas would be nicer people to have as part of your charity. Never mind the fact that Michelle Obama took a $300,000 salary to do nothing when she was actually on the board of a charity, the University of Chicago Medical Center. Never mind that Barack Obama used the IRS to actually target charities. No, 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 but Barack Obama is genteel. He says that Obama has a soundness in his decision-making. Vladimir Putin, ISIS, the Iranian, they all agree. He says that Obama has exhibited grace under pressure. He says, a president has to maintain equipoise under enormous pressure. Obama has done that, especially amid the financial crisis. Well, first of all, the financial crisis basically happened under Bush, and Obama had no place to go but up. But he then continues, he says, Obama has a resilient sense of optimism, as opposed to Trump and Cruz and Ben Carson, who wallow in the pornography of pessimism. But Obama's a real optimist. He says, people are motivated to make wise choices more by hope and opportunity than by fear, cynicism, hatred, and despair. Unlike many candidates, Obama has not appealed to those passions, which begs the question where he's been for the last eight years, while Barack Obama told black people all over the United States that the police are out to murder them, told Muslims that white Americans are out to murder them, told gays that white Christians are out to murder them, and then basically let Muslims who are radical run roughshod over the entire Middle East, Vladimir Putin run roughshod through Eastern Europe, and China run roughshod through the South China Sea. So I don't know where David Brooks has been in all of this, but this is the point. All that David Brooks cares about, David Brooks's brand of conservatism is based around a sensibility. It's not based around policies. It's not based around philosophy. It's based around the sensibility about how people should act with each other. We have to be genteel. We have to be civilized. He says, there's a tone of ugliness creeping across the world as democracies retreat, as tribalism mounts, as suspiciousness and authoritarianism take center stage. Obama radiates an ethos of integrity, humanity, good manners, and elegance that I'm beginning to miss. First of all, Obama is an authoritarian. He is suspicious. He has been tribal. He has destroyed democracies around the world. But you know, he says that he's elegant, and that's really what it comes down to, is the level of elegance of Barack Obama. He's just an elegant man. So on the, on the, on the, one, on the one hand, you have conservatives who say that Barack Obama is elegant, and that elegance is, is what conservatism is all about. Here's how David Brooks, this supposed leading conservative thinker, described conservatism back in October, quote, by traditional definitions, conservatism stands for intellectual humility, a belief in steady incremental change, a preference for reform rather than revolution, a respect for hierarchy, precedence, balance, and order, and a tone of voice that is prudent, measured, and responsible. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything in that definition of conservatism that couldn't be applied to a reasonable, rational, elegant elitist like Barack Obama, according to David Brooks? Intellectual humility. He says Obama has had a great decision-making process, really listened to other people. He's a belief in steady incremental change. Well, that's Barack Obama. He wants change. A preference for reform rather than revolution. Well, Obama's a reformist, according to David Brooks. A respect for hierarchy, precedence, balance, and order. Obama loves the Supreme Court. He loves precedence. And a tone of voice that is prudent and measured and responsible. 
In other words, David Brooks's definition of conservatism has nothing to do with conservatism and everything to do with attitude. So it's non-conservatism masquerading with attitude. And there are a lot of people in the United States who are very dissatisfied with Obama. And they look at David Brooks saying that conservatism is really just about wearing a creased pair of khakis and, and sipping Chardonnay. And they say, well, F you, dude. F you and F the horse you rode in on. Yeah, F you, you're, you're a P word, you're full of S. You know, you're F you. And this is where Trump comes from, right? This is where Trump comes from. So you have a non-conservative version of conservatism and the reaction is another non-conservative version of conservatism. If David Brooks says attitude that is – if conservatism is just elitist, go along to get along attitude, then the Trump people say, well, that's not conservatism. The conservatism is being rough and ready and shouting and cursing and being rude and vulgar. Now, as I've said, I have nothing against elitism, as a, against Chardonnay. I have nothing against wearing a nice pair of khakis. I also have nothing against the occasional use of the F word. It doesn't really bother me too much, and I think that we've moved beyond that. If, if, if the use of the F word in American society is on your list of top 100 problems facing us, then you're, you're misprioritizing. I'm not teaching my child to curse by any stretch of the imagination, but I promise you that, that cursing, if my president curses, I really don't care. It did not bother me one iota when Dick Cheney told at one point Harry Reid to go F himself. It didn't bother me one iota. And it really didn't bother me too much when Ralph Peters said that Obama was exactly the word that, that Donald Trump just used for Ted Cruz. What does bother me is when the word itself, the use of the word itself, is seen as non-politically correct. And there's a difference between vulgarity and anti-political correctness. There's a difference between vulgarity, a vulgar attitude, and conservatism. There's a difference between elitism and conservatism. David Brooks is not talking about conservatism, and neither is Trump. And what's more, when Trump says things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call Ted Cruz whatever I want. I'm not going to be politically correct. The reason not to call Ted Cruz a pansy, but the word isn't pansy, the reason not to call him that is not because you're not being politically correct. The reason not to call him that is because it's not true, because what you're saying is not conservative. I mean, the original riff here on, on Ted Cruz was Ted Cruz wasn't gung-ho enough in favor of waterboarding. That's not even true. If you watch that debate, what Ted Cruz said is that waterboarding is not torture and that if necessary, he would use it. I'm not sure how that's a bad position. But Trump and his supporters, they are responding to political correctness and gentility and civility so much that they're, they're basically saying all of the things that they do now are anti-politically correct. There's a difference between vulgarity and political correctness or vulgarity and anti-political correctness. There is a difference. Just being reactionary about political correctness doesn't mean you have to be vulgar. You know, I'm, I'm about as politically incorrect a fellow as is in American politics. I'm the guy who tweets out on Trayvon Martin's birthday when the left is deifying him that Trayvon Martin wouldn't be dead if he hadn't beaten a man's head into the ground and then gotten himself shot. I'm the, I'm the sort of fellow who goes on national television and refuses to bow to politically correct notions that men can magically become women. I'm the fellow who actually crafts videos in which I go through the percentage of Muslims all around the world who believe in extremism. So I, I've dedicated a huge majority of my life to fighting political correctness. But saying the F word is not anti-political correctness. Saying the P word isn't anti-political correctness. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it has nothing to do with political correctness. If that were the case, Amy Schumer, who curses regularly, curses a blue streak, uses the C word. You know, Amy Schumer would be somebody who is anti-politically correct. She's not. She's the most politically correct broad on earth. Everything Amy Schumer does is politically correct, but she curses. So don't mix up the person. Don't mix up the attitude with the philosophy. These are not the same thing. You can have preferences in terms of I know rude conservatives and I know genteel conservatives. I know rude liberals and I know genteel liberals. 
The attitude is not the philosophy. So this is true for David Brooks conservatives, and this includes people who are like my friend Michael Medved, who objects to Trump on the grounds that he's vulgar. The objection to Trump shouldn't chiefly be that he's vulgar. The objection to Trump should be that he's not conservative and also that he's vulgar. I don't like his brand of vulgarity. I think his brand of vulgarity actually is anti-conservative. See, for example, when Trump says the P word, I don't like that being used just generally. When Trump says that you should treat women like ass, that actually is anti-conservative because conservatism is a philosophy that says that women are to be treated with honor and respect. But again, mistaking attitude for policy is something that has happened. It started on the establishment right, and then in reaction, it's now moved over to the grassroots right, and that's actually a problem for conservatism because conservatism actually means something more specific than either saying the F word or not saying the F word. Okay, so back to New Hampshire. Jeb Bush, representing this sort of genteel David Brooks perspective on conservatism, he says Donald Trump needs therapy. Here's Jeb Bush. You just mentioned Donald Trump. He made some disparaging comments about your mother. Do you have a response to that? He's got, he needs, he needs therapy. I mean, seriously, attacking a 90-year-old woman? Really? Come on, Donald. Raise the level of your game, man. Raise the level of your game, man. First of all, Okay, attacking, I don't even know what Trump said about Barbara Bush, um, but once you drag somebody out on the campaign trail, my view is that they're fair game. Once that person is campaigning for you openly, they're fair game and sort of the slings and arrows that, that you should expect. Would I be upset if somebody attacked my mom? Yeah. Would I be upset if somebody attacked my wife? Sure. Do people do both all the time? Yeah. So, you know, welcome to politics. Trump came back by saying that Jeb's is stiff. And again, You'll notice that the battle between Trump and Jeb is not over policy. There's nothing here about policy. This is all about attitude. Right? If the battle of conservatism is one about attitude, conservatism loses. So you've got Jeb saying that Trump needs therapy. He should be more genteel. And here's Trump going back at Jeb saying Jeb's is stiff. Mika asked uh, people to, uh, to do word association games and said your name, Chris Christie, said friend. Right. Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush went in an opposite direction. He said loser. What's your response? Well, here's the story. I mean, we got to say it like it is. Uh, he'll say that I said things and I, that I never said. You know, I never called John McCain a loser. You know that. I, I like John McCain. He's a nice guy. Uh, I never called him a loser. The other man I supposedly called a loser. I don't even know who he is. I never, you know, I don't know who the man is. Jeb is making things up. Here's the story on Jeb. He's a stiff who you wouldn't hire in private enterprise, okay? This is a stiff. This is a guy that if he came looking for a job, you'd say, no, thank you. And that's the way it is. He used, he is, just so you understand, he talks about eminent domain. He doesn't even know what the words mean. Uh, eminent domain. His family used eminent domain privately on the stadium in Texas. It just came out this morning. He forgot to tell you. He probably didn't know because he's probably not that involved with his family. In fact, he doesn't even use the last name Bush, which is a mistake. But Jeb Bush is, is, you know, he'll spend $100 million on ads, spend $25 million on negative ads, and every time he does a negative ad, my poll numbers go up. It's okay, a we weird need to thing. stop it there. So this is just Trump being Trump. First of all, Trump basically did call John McCain a loser. I mean, the, he, that, that's not actually a lie. You remember several months ago, he let off his campaign by talking about POWs, and he said he prefers people who weren't captured, right, as he said about John McCain, because McCain doesn't like Trump, or at least didn't at the time. But in any case, this is the whole point. It's this attitude, right? The Jeb is, is, I'm genteel, I'm the adult in the room, and Trump is, no, I'm childish, and I'm going to punch you, and that's what I'm going to do. And you can hear the media love it, right? MSNBC loves it. Micah and Joe over there, they're, they're cracking up at this because all that's happening is that you've got kind of the blue-collar feel of Donald Trump, the F word and the P word, 
And then you got the upper crust feel of Jeb Bush, and they're just battling it out over nothing, over nothing. Right? They're not battling it out over policy differences. They're not battling it out over anything but pride and arrogance and, and the way that, that they feel that, that people should present themselves to the world. I really don't care about the presentation. I really don't. I care significantly more about the policies that are reflected. I don't oppose Trump because he uses vulgar language. I oppose Trump because Trump is not a conservative, and his vulgarity extends beyond just his language to thoughts that are, and feelings and beliefs that are not conservative. John Kasich is doing the same thing. He's, he goes out there and he's ripping Jeb Bush. And again, notice, folks, notice the pattern here. In the Republican primary, it's all about attitude. It, almost none of this has to do with conservative policy. So here's John Kasich getting attitudinal. Here we go. Do you regret your vote for the assault weapons ban in 94? No, you know, going back and regretting. I voted for an assault weapons ban. When you're governor for eight years, you got a record. And here's mine. I earned an A-plus rating from the NRA. Florida's pro-gun laws have been the model for other states. You uh, work to expand Medicaid. You work with President Obama. To give President Obama bipartisan cover on Obamacare. Your answer. Yeah, one governor expanded Medicaid and the other did too. Well, I think that was wrong. Joining me now, Republican presidential candidate and Ohio Governor John Kasich. And there is a reason they're going after you, Governor, and that's because, uh, at least in the latest Monmouth and ARG polls, you're in second place here in New Hampshire, which would be a remarkable finish for you in this state. And so, obviously, they're gunning for you. But do they, are they on to something? Yeah, those yeah, are issues Megan, that, that, that you know, look, upset the Republican I mean, base I'm, in some circumstances. I, I'm really disappointed in, in Jeb. It's, uh, look, I mean, he's taken a very low road to the highest office of the land, and it's been negative all along, but that, yeah, it's okay. You know, as Arnold Schwarzenegger told me when I was running for governor the first time, love the beatings. And uh, <laughs> we've been positive, really, this, <clears throat> we've been positive this whole time. And, Megan, you couldn't believe what happened just uh, about 45 minutes ago. We had hundreds of people standing in a snowstorm with the Klieg lights in front of this, uh, this old uh, iconic country store. And people are fired up, and our ground game is like nothing that the people have seen. And okay, well, so you can stop it there. But bottom line is the, the same thing, right? I'm hopeful. Jeb isn't. Okay, can you name policy differences? Everything that Jeb does in that ad about Kasich there, and believe if you haven't been watching the show for a while, folks, I'm not a Jeb Bush fan. Everything Jeb says about Kasich there is exactly correct. Kasich's response is he's mean, right? He's taking the low road. It's all about attitude. It isn't about attitude. Conservatism isn't about attitude. John Kasich is not an acceptable candidate because he is not right-wing. Jeb Bush is not an acceptable candidate because he is not right-wing. Donald Trump is not an acceptable candidate because he is not right-wing. Marco Rubio is on the borderline of acceptable because he is not right-wing on immigration. And when we forget all of that and it just becomes about the various attitudes of the people who are involved, maybe that's the way politics is now. Maybe that's just how it is, that we elect the nicest guy, the one who projects the best persona. But the definition of conservatism cannot change in order to adjust for the people that we like. I, I got mad when they did this with Mitt Romney in 2012. I was mad when they did it with John McCain in 2008. Campaign finance reform didn't become conservative just because John McCain was running. Mitt Romney did not make Romney care conservative. John Kasich is not conservative because he is less mean than Jeb Bush, and Jeb Bush isn't more conservative because he's less mean than Donald Trump. None of this has anything to do with the philosophy. So tonight, Trump is going to win. Uh, by every available metric, he's going to win, and he's going to win broad. Uh, and he's got, I think, in the betting markets, an 87% to 9% lead over the next closest competitor. So let's take a look at your new Republican frontrunner, because Trump going into South Carolina is leading in the polls there. Here is Trump doing name IDs. He's doing a, a word association game on MSNBC this morning, uh, and, uh, and he goes after Hillary Clinton a little bit. Here we go. Jeb Bush. 
Loser. Okay. <laughs> what, what a coincidence. <laughs> it's so funny. You uh, should say that. Marco Rubio. Um, confused. Ted Cruz. <laughs> I, I was going to say nasty. He's not really nasty. I mean, he, he's been very nice. Here he goes on and off. Uh, um, I'll say nasty. Nasty. Okay. <laughs> Stick with uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, she went to your wedding, right? Wow. Yeah, she did. She did. She did. <laughs> In a certain way, evil. In a certain way, evil. Whoa. Um, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, intelligent. Oh, yeah, I'm going to just, just okay. stop there. I'm good. I'm good. We're, I'm interested in all the words that he edited out. I okay. know. No. There was a lot of editing going on there. I never liked that stuff. Oh, yes. But one more. Donald Trump. Brilliant. Oh. <laughs> that one was easy. No, no. Now, Putin said Trump is brilliant, right? <laughs> and the Republicans wanted me to disavow his statement. He's a horrible person. Or no. I said, I'm not going to disavow that statement. Why would I ever disavow that statement? Anyway, no, I'm only being oh, my nice Lord. guy. I would say nice person. I'm a nice person. Aww. All right, Donald Trump. A lot nicer than people think. I don't know if uh, Hillary Clinton would agree with that this morning, but Donald Trump, I know some thank you so much do. for being Donald with Trump, us. Donald Trump, thank you. Okay, there's Micah and Joe just celebrating Donald Trump. It is amazing. Notice the difference in reaction to him calling Ted Cruz nasty and him calling Hillary Clinton evil. Right? He calls Ted Cruz nasty and the entire place breaks up. Oh, that's so funny. Donald, you're such a you're such a riot. He calls Hillary Clinton evil. Dead silence. Oh, you've touched the queen. You mustn't touch the queen. So he, here's the thing about Trump. He's media savvy. He knows how the camera works. And that's going to be an asset for him, and the media loves it. Okay, the media is going to prop him up all the way through the end of this process. The media loves it. They love it. Now, if Donald Trump were actually president, would he know what he's doing? I have no evidence of that yet. Here's Donald Trump talking about how we don't win wars anymore, and then he talks about vomiting for some reason. I don't really understand, but okay. But we have to get back to rebuilding our country because you look at our airports, our roadways, our tunnels, our bridges. Sixty-seven percent of them are in trouble. Have we wasted we have too to much money over the past decade fighting wars? Has that been one of the biggest problems? Well, I'll tell you what. It's, I don't mind fighting, but you've got to win. And number one, we don't win wars. We just fight. We just fight. It's like a big uh, vomiting. Just fight, <laughs> fight, fight. We don't win anything. I mean, if you're going to fight, you win, and you get back to rebuilding the country. We don't win. It's, uh, it's really a terrible thing. I mean, we, you know, our country used to win all the time. We don't win at all anymore. Okay, so you've got Donald Trump saying that, and then let, let's move over to the other side of the aisle now. So uh, against Donald Trump is if he were to win the nomination. for I don't think he will, by the way. I think that this will end up in a brokered convention. There are too many candidates, too many states, not enough delegates. Move over to the other side of the aisle. So Hillary Clinton is on the other side of the aisle, and Hillary is pulling out all the stops. She's going to lose New Hampshire today, and Hillary Clinton... She says that there is a double standard against her. She's going to play victim all the way through the end of this process. She's talking here with Rachel Maddow, who was just interviewed in Playboy magazine about having sex with college girls. But here is Rachel Maddow talking with Hillary Clinton about the, the double standard faced by females on a national what television broadcast with the leading presidential candidate and the number one broadcaster at MSNBC, both women, talking about how victimized they are. Here we go status of that do you expect to release those switches well, you know what i said the other day you know look i'm getting a little bit we're, uh, weary of the double standard hmm. let's release what everybody has ever said there are a lot of people on both sides if we're going to start saying what you did when you're out of public office when you were in the private sector what you did fair game Re release it all i'm all for that you mean all presidential yeah, candidates everybody release everything but again i'm being asked to do something 
for which there's no basis, just the attempt to cast suspicion. So I said I would look into it. We will look into it. But, you know, it's, what's good for the gander should be good for the goose. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it unilaterally. But if everybody's going to do it, you would do it. Well, this is my present. I'm really not thinking about it until I get through New Hampshire, to be honest. I want to get through tomorrow, and then, you know, it's going to be very boring for people uh, once it is done under whatever circumstances. So there's Hillary Clinton, absolutely charmless. You've got Trump, who actually is good on camera, but Hillary's already pulling out all the stops to try and bully women into voting for her. So Gloria Steinem is this feminist icon from the last century. Uh, she's the one who said that a, a woman needs a man like a fish, needs a bicycle. Uh, Gloria Steinem, uh, she was so angry at young women who are supporting Bernie Sanders that she drops this unbelievable line over the last 48 hours. Here we go. It's, it's kind of not fair to measure most women by the standard of most men because they're going to get more activist as they grow older. And, and when you're young, you're thinking, you know, where are the boys? The boys are with Bernie or, you know. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> now, if I said that. <laughs> no. No, no. Yeah, they're for say. Bernie because that's where the boys no, are. No, no. But, you, you, but it's swap not. Swap me. Come no. on. And he's right. He's right. But it's amazing. Gloria Steinem has made her entire career off of Young women empowered make decisions about their bodies and voting. But the minute that they vote for somebody she doesn't like, then she says they're a bunch of idiots who only follow their, their estrogen to the nearest boy. Kind of an amazing statement from Gloria Steinem. But this is how Hillary actually feels about other women. Hillary doesn't like other women. Gloria Steinem doesn't like other women. They just don't like men. There's a difference. You can hate men and also not be that enamored of women. Madeleine Albright was also trotted out. So we've got the entire old irrelevant ladies brigade. We've got Gloria Steinem. <clears throat> we got Hillary Clinton, <clears throat> and we got Madeleine Albright, who hasn't been relevant since she gave a basketball to Kim Jong Il. Um, so here is here's Madeleine Albright saying that there is a special place in hell for women who don't vote for Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is like an episode of The Crypt Keeper. This is the, the crypt opens up and out wanders Madeleine Albright. She makes she makes Hillary Clinton look about forty years old here. Here's Madeleine Albright. And a lot of you younger women don't think you have to. It's been done. It's not done and you have to help hillary clinton will always be there for you and just remember there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other and hillary with her crazed laugh and all these women cheering behind her special place in hell for women who don't help each other oh you mean like rape victims that you help target like those kind of women like when a woman when your husband rapes someone and then you threaten her is there a special place in hell for you? I also don't seem to remember Madeleine Albright saying that when Sarah Palin was under attack or Michelle Bachman, or for that matter, all the Christian women in the Middle East who are being murdered. And, or, or, for example, the family of, of, the, of the people who were killed in Benghazi and Hillary was lying to them. I don't remember that. It, it is truly amazing. So what this election is going to turn into, and you wonder why the media are so desperate to have Trump and they, they want Trump. Yeah, Trump is a great copy. One of the reasons the media want Trump is because they want to turn this into a referendum on... They, they've been building this narrative for five years. Okay, I've been here, I've been watching it, I've been pointing it out. They've been building the war on women narrative ever since 2012 and pushing this idea that there's a Republican war on women, Republicans hate women. And they've been building it specifically so that this horrible piece of human debris on, on the, the left side of my screen here, so the, the, the one in, in the purple who looks like an eggplant, so that she can run for president in building this narrative that she is, is just, she shows how much women are under attack in the United States, and she's playing that card over and over. So is Madeleine Albright, so is Gloria Steinem, even if it means slapping young women into oblivion. They want Trump because Trump has said such terrible things about women. 
Trump polls the worst among women of any candidate in the Republican field, and it is not close. So, you know, uh, th that, that's the real reason they want Trump. So all that said, okay, let's do some things that I like and some things that I hate. So uh, if you, if things, a thing that I like, okay, so the, the Truman Show is a very good movie with Jim Carrey. If you haven't seen it, it's an older movie, but it's a lot of fun, uh, and you should take a look at it. It's also kind of an interesting philosophical movie about the limitations of society and breaking free of societal constraints. It's, it's, it's a really visually interesting movie. Andrew Nicole, the guy who wrote it, never wrote anything good again, but this is a really good movie. Okay, now something else that I like. Triumph the insult comic dog went to college campuses, and this is actually very funny, so let's watch this. Somebody like to talk a little bit about gender identification, for example. Sure. Um, I would say gender identification is whatever gender your soul or identity ties to. No, good point. How about you? What do you identify as besides uh, pretentious? Um, <laughs> who can tell me what the trigger warning is? Um, well, a, a trigger warning is something that you put before, like, a video or an article or something that might be difficult for them to, to witness or to hear. Got it. Okay, let me do one. <clears throat> uh, trigger warning. Um, in this video, there will be the clear depiction of a dog pretending to be interested in what a college student is saying, <laughs> while at the same time making plans to pleasure himself to her at a later time. <laughs> is that good? <laughs> Thank you. She's actually really insulted. Would someone like to explain to me what mansplaining is? Thank you. Could you please vagsplain? Mansplaining <laughs> is when a man says something that a woman says, like explaining it the same way but getting more credit for it. Okay. I still don't get it. Could somebody mansplain this to me? <laughs> There's a lot for, for you men to learn. You have to learn how to address a female student in the proper way. All right? Can I hump your leg? No. Just for a second. Please understand. I know I look like a dog but I identify as a shin guard. <laughs> I want to say your name. I, I'm very bad with names. I apologize. Since I'm so bad with names, it'll really help me out if you guys wear some labels. Okay, here we go. Let's put that there. Thank you. Is this future psycho nanny? <laughs> Narc. <laughs> Caution, Will Sue. Swipe left. All right. This is what uh, put uh, UNH on the map a few years <laughs> ago, talking about words that are outdated. For example, uh, poor person. Outdated. Now, instead of saying the word poor, you say person who lacks advantages that others have, no economic status related to a person's education, occupation, and income. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Wouldn't you call that offensive at this point? Freshmen, I think it's actually on there. You want to be called first year students, yes? Yeah. First year students. And sophomore should be called, tried being a lesbian, didn't love it. And I think junior year should be called, plan B pregnancy scare. And senior year uh, should be called, lesbian for good. <laughs> Instead of freshman orientation, you'd call it first-year orientation? Yep, first-year orientation. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Did you just say first-year orientation? Shouldn't you be saying first-year 
Asian mentation? Yes. Frat boys? I think that's a very offensive term, frat boys. Instead of frat boys, how about rapist Americans? Among all the candidates, uh, which socialist 74-year-old Jew would you like to see elected president? <laughs> no, he is going to break up the banks. I think we should break up the big banks. Well, then how are you going to access your parents' money? <laughs> <laughs> how about like the roasts, when you see uh, you know, <coughs> Donald Trump or Charlie Sheen get made fun of? You know, it's funny, it's in good fun. But I mean, it's not, it's not politically correct. Here's what a politically correct roast would sound like. I'm going to do the best I can, okay? Your mom's so plus-sized that her blood type is ragu. And I only know that because the insurance industry did not sufficiently protect her privacy rights. <laughs> if the police had their way, it could mess up one of our most beloved pastimes, talking dirty. Who's your daddy? Not acceptable, right? But... Who's your non-gender specific male authority figure? You're a dirty little whore. Makes you uncomfortable? Okay, let me try this. You're an unwashed, diminutive victim of job alternative deprivation. <laughs> you unwashed, diminutive victim. Of job alternative deprivation. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. But it shows how ridiculous this whole thing is. And and what's amazing is when you watch the faces of the students, even the students know how ridiculous this is, except for one girl who is wildly offended by everything that is being said. So remember earlier I said that being vulgar isn't necessarily being liberal, right? I said that, you know, David Brooks is wrong. It can be both vulgar and conservative. There's a lot of vulgarity in this video, but it's funny because the whole point is that all of the stuff the left is saying is stupid garbage. And it is. On campus, all the stuff the left is saying is stupid garbage. Which brings me to things I hate. Stuff the left is saying on campus that's stupid garbage. So, I'm going to a University of North Carolina, and I'm speaking there on March 30th. Liberal groups are already planning to counter my ignorance, which will be interesting since they don't know anything. So one student wrote, Some ignorant white people who go to my school have booked this ignorant white man, this would be me, so that a like-minded audience comprised of ignorant white people can reaffirm their ignorant beliefs. The person should invest in a thesaurus since he repeats the word ignorant too many times, so they're ignorant. Uh, they, they actually, there's a Take Back the Night Club, which is this, this supposedly anti-rape group. I'm the most anti-rape person that you will ever find because I think that rapists should be shot or castrated. But the Take Back the Night Club is very upset. Why? Because, quote, Intersectionality leads to a uniquely marginalized experience for women of color within our patriarchal society. That is what we like to call thought vomit right there. I mean, that is ab what does that even mean? I'll, I'll claim ignorance. I don't know what that means. It sounds like garbage to me. They said, Shapiro has a history of speaking against women's rights. Really? Like, which ones? You mean, like, did I tell my wife who's about to go into medical residency? Which rights have I deprived her of? I mean, just I want a sandwich every so often. Is that so much to ask? But... I have a history of speaking against women's rights, LGBTQ rights, okay, if you think that you have a right to force me to cater your wedding, yeah, because you're depriving me of rights, and racial justice. Racial justice means that if you're a, a person who commits a crime and you're black, then you shouldn't go to jail because that would be racially unjust. 
It might be just, but it would be racially unjust. They say, stand up against people who make the world an uncomfortable, unwelcoming place for women, non-binary, and non-cis folks. Cisgender means, like me, I'm a man who identifies as a man. And, you know, like 99% of the rest of humanity, because I'm not a moron. Uh, or somebody who's mentally ill, those are the two options. If you don't identify as the gender into which you were born, that's because you're either stupid or mentally ill. There are there is no third option. Okay, there's no third option where you are where where you are perfectly healthy, but you don't identify as the gender into which you were born. Okay, it just doesn't work that way. And people of color. And by the way, I feel terrible for the people who are mentally ill. I don't feel bad for the people who confuse themselves purposefully because they want to get on the victimology list at University of North Carolina. See you there, gang. All right, so that'll be that'll be fun. So that that's something that I hate. A couple of quick other things that I hate. Hillary's exploiting the kitties again every other day. Like there's there's an age range where Hillary really doesn't know what to do with children. Before they're born, you kill them, and once they're eighteen, then you pressure them into voting for women by calling them non-feminist. But between the ages of birth and eighteen, you have no idea what to do with them, so you trot out ads like this one. I can't vote yet. I can't vote yet. I can't vote yet. But you're voting for my future. For my future. For my future. Let's make Hillary president. Yeah. Rolf has no idea who Hillary is. Go vote. Vote, please. HRC 2016. HRC 2016. HRC 2016. Hey, you. Get off the couch and go vote. I will not listen to you, small child, because you are not important to my life. Thank you. Hey, what? Yes, you can't. Uh, thank you for that content-laden explanation of why I should hand the country over to an old bat socialist who's going to bankrupt it before you're even old enough to get a job. Thank you for that small child whose parents forced you into this so that eventually you could get a bit part on a sitcom. Really appreciate it. Okay, other things that I hate. Here's another Hillary ad. She's bringing out the worst ads. Here's another Hillary ad. See if you can spot the problem with this particular Hillary Clinton ad. Here we go. I still remember the day you were born. You came 10 days late. You looked like you'd been in the bathtub for too long. You were all wrinkled and... I remember holding you in my arms and I knew I could give you anything you needed. We were going to love you and be a family and take care of you and teach you all the wonderful things and show you what this amazing world had opened. Hey, it was the first time I thought not just about my future, but about the future that you guys would come into. So, I think about the kind of America I believe in. I believe in an America where we can disagree without descending into vulgarity. I believe in an America in which immigrants are welcomed. Because they contribute to our country, just like my parents did. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I believe in an America that makes environmentally responsible decisions so that one day you and your kids can okay. still enjoy playing in the coming. snow as much as you do. My mother taught me that everybody needs a chance and a champion. I wish my mother could have been with us longer. I wish she could have met Charlotte. I wish she could have seen the America we're going to build together. I believe in an America where you have the opportunity to a wonderful education because this country can afford to give you that. I believe in an America that puts vets as a priority. An America where we don't leave anyone out or anyone behind. Get ready. I believe in an America where black lives matter. And that where lives are diminished in any way, that we have an obligation as a country to make those people whole. An America 
where if you do your part, you reap the rewards. I believe that people have to make a living wage. I don't believe we need to support the 1%. Is this possible in today's world? I believe it is. I believe in an America where you will be able to make decisions about your body because it belongs to you. Okay, stop it right there. You may have noticed that these are this entire stupid commercial is based around babies. And then as they show a baby, they say, I dream of an America where you can kill your baby. Right? This is a stupid thing. And this is this is the real hole in the Democratic agenda. I mean, it, it is. They, they show all these really, really cute kids, and they tell you that three months before this, you could have killed them. Right? It really is kind of gross. So they, they literally show a baby on the screen. At the same time, they say that your body belongs to you. In other words, this kid, whoosh, just get rid of the sucker. If this is not a convenient child for you, out this kid goes. So... Hillary, by the way, it's it's such sloganeering, and and I mentioned before, you know, the attitudinal differences between kind of the elite David Brooks types and the and the vulgar Donald Trump types, and you hear Hillary do the same thing. Oh, Donald Trump is vulgar, therefore he's not he's not worthy of us. Yeah, well, that makes no difference to me. It turns out that most of the dictators in history had highfalutin tastes. Most of them actually enjoyed a nice glass of wine in the evenings. That didn't mean that they were better people. Okay, final thing, final thing. I promise. Okay, so. Bernie Sanders, uh, they're trotting out a new song, a new Bernie Sanders song, and they're having people sing it. And uh, and I think we have an exclusive clip of them actually singing the Bernie Sanders song. Let's see if we can dig that up. Yeah, I think that there's the crowd just waiting for the song. To Africa. To Africa. This, this may be the wrong video. Sorry. Oops. Sorry about that. No, let's actually, I think we have the actual video now. <laughs> Sorry, that was the wrong video, guys. I mixed up one national socialist with another national socialist. I'm sorry about that. Here, here's the actual Bernie Sanders rally, and here's what the Feel the Burn song sounds like. Different than the syphilis song, but no one knows really why. So here we go. smooth talker we only want what's right I like the homeless guy in the trench coat looks like he just walked out of a pornography shop and now he's rocking back and forth and he's gonna go find a corner somewhere pleasure himself Do you feel the burn? Do you feel the love? Oh. Um, there's some s on stage, some people got bad wishes, etc. No? No, no, they're just rocks. Oh no, there are more people shaking. I don't know what's going on over here, but it's getting a little scary, so we're gonna stop it right here. Okay, so.
That's the Feel the Burn song from the from the Bernie Sanders from the Bernie Sanders rally. In American politics, where our attitude is the only thing that matters, where our attitude, whether it's elitist or whether it's grassroots or whether it's vulgar or whether it's highfalutin, where that's the only thing that matters, where ideology has nothing to do with anything, is in is a politics that is bereft of any possibility of really helping people, of really allowing people the freedoms that we are guaranteed under the Constitution. And it's easy to get caught up in all the media coverage of the Trump bombastic stuff and the, and the Jeb weakness and the funny headline from, from The Onion today, Jeb loses New Hampshire, falls victim to a heroin crisis. Um, but you know, it's, it's easy to fall into the whole media game of following the persona of all the various candidates. But the fact is that if you, if you can't get past the persona, if you can't get past the hippy-dippy Bernie Sanders versus the, the grip-it-too-tight-white-knuckle-it Hillary Clinton campaign, if you can't to get to what do these people believe and what are they going to do, and we really don't have a lot of hope for the future of the country. If we can get beyond the optics and we can get to the substance, and that's your job and that's my job, then maybe, just maybe, we can get to a point where what happens to the country is more important than how we treat the candidates while it happens. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 